Uh, we're going to continue in the book of Mark. I got it on the uh, welcome. I have to welcome everyone to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that will welcome all the worship, being a community that serves the greater community. Nailed it. <laughs> right? Um, that only took two years, I guess. I don't know. Um, so we're going to be going through the book of Mark, uh, the chapter six. I hope if you guys have been enjoying the series so far, I have. Um, so if you don't have a Bibles, we got it on the screen for you guys. Uh, verse one, we're just going to get started. I usually like to give a little, uh, cause it's been so long since the last time I preached. I liked, I like to give a kind of overview of my life. Uh, just know that it's been crazy in the best way possible and I've been way too busy in the best way possible and all the good stuff. Uh, I would dive deeper into it, but chapter six is a hefty verse and a hefty chapter and I don't want to keep you here all day. So not gonna. So chapter, uh, verse one, he went away from there. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is, this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? You didn't know Jesus had so many brothers, did you? Uh, and are, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except for in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. I think in the, in that first four verses, it is. Yeah. Four verses. I think you could do a sermon series on that right there. Um, is, is God calling all of us to leave our hometowns and, and to go away? Uh, I don't think so, but it sure helps, right? I, I only know what I know. And I know that um, one of the greatest times of growth in my life was when I packed up and I left uh, the great state of Northern California and I moved to Southern California, which is like a whole new country, basically, if you haven't been there. Um, I, I left everything, right? I, I, I left my church. I, I left the household. Didn't know anybody. I, had, had, I did have one person I knew who uh, came with me, but um, that was it. Uh, scary, yes, frightening, yes, but it was one of the best times of growth in my life. I was confronted with opportunities, with choices that I'd never been confronted with before. Uh, first time I had to choose by myself what church to go to. How do you choose that, right? Like I go to, a, I, I go to Southern California, no knowledge of anything besides Disneyland basically, and there's like beaches there. I have to choose a church. I have to choose a school. I have to choose all these things on my own, basically. Scary, right? But it, 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 it brought me opportunity for great growth, right? Uh, some of you are parents. Some of you are grandparents, right? And eventually those kids are going to start looking into colleges. And I know your, your, uh, the nature of what you're going to want to do is to say, stay close to home, go to Cal Poly, go to, you know, this one, go to that one. Um, maybe God is calling them to something different and new. Uh, it, it's scary. Yes. But 
the growth will be worth it. I can tell you that for sure. Um, so start praying about that. I know that's big. Uh, even if you got little ones, um, it's never too early. Verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there. Uh, very sad statement there. Usually when you hear that from Jesus, it's your faith has healed you or something like that. It's the opposite, right? And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and give them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So no backups with the tunics, right? And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them, a very Old Testament thing to do, that you, you have nothing to do with that city or that town, that village anymore. Verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. So right now we're going we're gonna to get two transitions that are very quick in this passage. So I'm preparing you. This one, this transition, we're moving from the present to the past. So it's kind of the explanation of why Herod thinks uh, that Jesus is actually the reincarnation of John here. So uh, we're big movie buffs here. Uh, so if this was a movie, imagine everyone sitting at the table, Herod's at the table, and then Herod all of a sudden starts looking at the ground for some reason. Picture goes black and white, mumble, everyone's mumbling. You can't hear any of the dialogue because we're about to go in the past right? Um, for John, verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, Herodias had a grudge against him and wanting to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you, up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to, 
to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So today we're going to hit that second transition where we're going from the past back to the present. So remember everything that's happened so far. And um, secondly, I want to ask a very simple question that comes from this section. Is um, holding a grudge costly? And I don't mean when we hold grudges against someone else. Is it costly for them? I mean, is it costly for us? Think about it. You awake? Yes? I think it's, it's fairly obvious. What did John the Baptist lose here? Right? Pretty big thing. His life. He did die. Right? Um, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that's a huge deal. He was in prison, which I don't know if you know anything about prisons in the Bible. They weren't the nicest place, right? You didn't get a TV and, you know, uh, you were locked up in a cage with another or one or two bodyguards shackled to you, right? Not the best place, basically a death sentence, right? Um, he had the security of, of knowing God and he had the security of going to heaven. So in the long run, he didn't lose a whole lot. Herodias won, right? It's the, it's the winning that we have when we finally get back at the person who wronged us 20 years ago, you know, who like snuck in line in front of us and we're like, Oh man, that guy, right? We hold on to him for 20 years. Herodias won, right? She won the argument, but she lost. What did she lose? What she, could she have potentially asked for? Half the kingdom. Selfish people sometimes are very bad at being selfish, right? We get lost in our grudge, in our revenge, in all the emotions that we forget completely about what potentially we could have. Winning in that situation was asking for the most important person to give me half the kingdom. She would have had it. No grudge is worth that, right? It doesn't matter, though. Are we going to get half the kingdom if we give up our grudge? No, right? But the potential worth might be worth that much. Something to remember ourselves. Um, so we're, we're transitioning back into the present with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus, so they went out two by twos, and they casted out demons, and they're healing everyone, right? The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is a good reminder to us leaders and um you all are leaders, right? Don't exclude yourself. I don't know if you know this, but you're all leaders. Someone is looking up to you, uh, 
even if you don't recognize it, even if you don't understand why, someone is looking up to you as a leader, right? This is a good reminder to us that uh, we have to take our leisure seriously. Uh, That sounds ridiculous that I have to stand up here and say, hey, you should take a break every once in a while. But I have lived in the Bay Area to know, uh, I've lived here long enough to know that we take our work life seriously, right? We want to put our stamp of approval on whatever we do, and um, we just want to be proud of it. I can't speak about last year because I was graduating, but two years ago at Men's Retreat, we talked about the Sabbath at uh, Men's Retreat, and um, one of the main takeaways from it that I had, at least, was as men, we struggle either with the six days of work or the one day of Sabbath. Simple balancing act right? Do you, are you lazy? (laughs) Is your struggle with the six days of work? Um, do you avoid work? Do you see work as a negative, right? Something that a lot of people do. Um, is it simply a punishment that Adam received or is it something that God planned in us all along? That's the first issue. The second issue is, is, our, is our issue with the Sabbath, with the one day of Sabbath. See, as leaders, people with the greatest and the best motivations will try to steal everything from you. And I say that very meanfully, but it's true. They will want to be like you. They want to grow up. They want to mature. They want to know what you know. They want to be successful like you. Very good and honorable things. But in doing so, they will ask literally everything from you. And we could see it in verse uh, 31. To the point where you don't have time to eat. Take your leisure life seriously. Um, uh, five years ago, let's just say, I don't know, something like that. Um, I was working in several jobs, right? Um, and I hit a point where... I didn't have a day off. I didn't have a half day off or several hours off even for like close to a year, eight months, something like that. And, um, I hit a point, I hit a wall, right? I I was run down and my life suffered because of it, right? My relationship to my wife suffered. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, but you know how to do things, but then when your brain tells your body to do them, it doesn't work. Like, it's just like, okay, pick up the podium, and you're just like, you know, it just doesn't work anymore. Things can't, you can't handle anything. You need sleep, but you can't sleep at night because you're too stressed, and whatever sleep you do get doesn't satisfy your needs. Leisure life is important, And it sounds ridiculous, but um, it's what we need to hear sometimes. Verse 32, so how did they fix it? Verse 32, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. If you need a uh, Bible reference to why you should go on a cruise, there you go. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. 
send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But answer, but but he answered them, "You give them something to eat." And they said to him, "Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them?" And he said to them, "How many loaves do you have? Go go and see." And they and when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided up the, the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go uh, before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on sea, and he was alone on land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for all uh, saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. But he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astonished. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their boats, on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, in cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the, in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. All right. So we are flying by these three points. Honestly, I think it's going to be the quickest ever uh, that we're going to do these. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know if you have recognized this. One of the the cool things that I really like, really enjoyed about hearing the Pastor Scott's preaching through Mark is seeing uh, the different takeaways that they are getting from the book and their respective chapters. Um, me, I've been seeing uh, how Christ has been countercultural through the entire book thus far, and especially in this chapter. Uh, when I say countercultural, that basically just means when everyone is doing one thing, Christ is either doing the opposite or close to the opposite. So um, these, this list, these statements that I'm giving you today are surely not exclusive. They're even more in this one chapter, but I wanted to talk about these mostly. So uh, I made some three uh, with Christ statements to show how Christ is really countercultural even today. So number one, 
with Christ, it's not about who you are. It's about what God has made you. Um, is not, uh, in verse 3 and 4, it says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not these sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. Um, when, if Christ is encountering discrimination because of his past, do you think we are going to have that? It sounds amazing. I don't know how bad baby Jesus was, but apparently he was bad enough for people to look at him and say, isn't this the same kid? Isn't this just the carpenter? How is this guy doing anything, is trying to do anything good here? When people look at your life and judge you because of your past, that's all it is right? They were there when you messed up, when you were too young, too naive, um, too dumb to, uh, to go just with the crowd and you tried something new. You tried something exciting, right? Sometimes you succeeded, but eventually you failed and they were there, right? These people are not people who are just making up stories, that's not what this passage is talking about. These people are not people who are just lying about your past. These are the people who know you, right? Uh, I think it's, it's very uh, coincidental that uh, we're talking about this right after Thanksgiving and Christmas time where families get together and pretend they love each other. No, they got it together. And why are there so much fighting at the holidays? This right? People don't see you who you are now. They see little you. They see you 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, two months ago. They see those and they can't move past it. Anything you're trying to do, amazing, good, whatever, they can't see it because they only see you, littler you. And don't forget, this works both ways, right? God's doing something in your sister's life, in your brother's life. And a lot of the times we don't want to recognize it because we only see past them. They, you see the, the, the girl who went to college and messed up. You see the boy who was violent and was a bully as a kid. You don't see what God is doing in them now. Because you're so consumed with what they were doing in the past. And that is everything wrong with how we view people, right? The basis of Christianity, the very basis is that we can do nothing good without God. What happens when we're left alone? Not even alone, when God's in the same garden as us. We have one rule, we mess it up. We find it and we mess it up. That's who we are. But with Christ, it doesn't matter who you are. It's what God has made us. And that is beautiful. God is calling us to something greater. Christ was, he could have healed the entire town. He could have done some amazing things. But because of their disbelief, what happened? Healed a couple people, did some little things, left. It's sad. Potential, lost potential is one of the greatest tragedies of today. 
when you could see a high schooler or a junior hire as just a high schooler and junior hire, it's, it's sad. I witnessed last year, and I'm going to witness it again, at Camp Rock, high schoolers in charge of people's lives. That's scary because <laughs> they don't get in trouble if something happens. I get in trouble, right? It's amazing, though, because it's, for a lot of them, it's the first time that they're giving a shot at something big, something huge, right? Point number two, with Christ, it's not about what you have. It's about what God can do through you. Um, the obvious example of this is the feeding of the 5,000. So much so that I'm not going to talk about it because it's obvious, right? The one that I want to talk about is in verse 8 and 9. It says, He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on, to not put on two tunics. They are called to do the impossible. Don't forget, they're not going out and just like talking about Jesus, right? They're, they're, being called to cast out demons, to heal people, something that is a miracle and is impossible, right? And luckily, Christ gives them everything they need ahead of time and so that they have the security to go out and they don't have anything. God is going to call you to something and it may seem impossible, he may call the six foot ten introverted person to regularly stand in front of a group of people and talk. And that is impossible, and I hate it, and I love it, right? He's going to call you to something that for you is impossible. And he may or may not give you what you need to do it. He gave them nothing, but his uh, providence was still there right? What happened? Was it a success or was it a failure? Was it a, was it a training exercise where it's like, no, you got to count the cost before you go? No, they went out, they had nothing. And it was a huge success. People were healed. Demons were cast out. Stuff happened. Remember that whenever God calls you, he calls you. And that's not dependent on what you have. It's dependent on what he can do through you. And there's no limit, right? Can we agree on that? I'm, it's okay. You can get under my wing, baby birds. It's all right. I'll, I'll help you way through. Okay, for, uh, three. Uh, with Christ, and this is the most, this is the most countercultural thing I think I'm ever going to say. With Christ, it's not about how you feel. It's about how you respond. Now, does God care about your feelings? Can we all, yes, okay, don't hurt me. It's okay. God cares about your feelings. However, in this chapter, it, it, it seems like feelings don't matter right? I'm going to give you two chances. You can look up verse 50, right? But verse 26, two examples about how feelings pale in comparisons to actions, right? Was Herod wrong for killing John? Yes. He felt bad. He didn't want to do it. He promised by not killing John, he would have broken his, his oath, right? He would have embarrassed his friends, himself, everyone, he was wrong, though. It doesn't matter how he felt. It doesn't matter how, his motivations. He did wrong, plain and simple, black and white. It, there's nothing. It's clear. 
Very clear. Now let's take it the opposite way. The apostles, their hearts were hardened. They were confused. And this is not the first time. You got to read the gospels and just underline how many times the apostles, Jesus' disciples, don't understand what's going on. You're going to run out of ink, right? It's nuts. It happens more times than not. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand Jesus, who he is. The people who should know that Jesus is God for any amount of time, right? They don't get it. However, they are the ones who are given power to change the world. Casting out demons, healing people. See, God... If he hasn't already, God is going to engage you in the most hostile way. It's going to be mysterious. You're not going to like it. It's going to be scary. It's you're going to you're you're going to jump to conclusions like it's a ghost on a boat, right? You're going to do weird things. And God, in his infinite wisdom and understanding and love, is not going to judge you because of our lack of faith, because we should know that God is doing something. He, he sees what we're going to do. He sees our actions. See, I, I don't know if you've thought about this, but with these three points, there's a reverse side, right? Um, I don't even need to talk about the last one. You can get away with anything if your feelings are strong enough today. Without Christ, your actions are meaningless. It's all about emotions. It's all about feelings. Get on Facebook. You'll see, right? Number two, uh, it, it doesn't really matter what God can do through you if you're not with God. You want to do good? Look at your paycheck. That's all you can do. There's no magic. There's no mystery. There's no uh, miracles that happen. You want to feed 5,000, you better have 200 denarii. Plain and simple. You want to do something good, you have to have the supplies to do it. God's providence doesn't happen. Now, can he bless those people? Of course. Happens all the time. But you can't rely on it. You're not in God's presence. You're not connected with him. And, of course, it, it doesn't matter what God has made you. It's all about who you are. If you want a future in politics or anything that has to do with your personality, you better have a squeaky clean background. Because we are terrible at looking at people now, and we hold on to the past, obviously. We hold on to the past forever. It doesn't matter what it costs us, what we lose. It is simply about who you are. So with, without Christ, without Christ, there's no future potential. There's no growth. It's all about your actions. Now, the greatest thing about these three points and about the six points, kind of, is that it's our choice. We have the option. We can do life with or without Christ. If you have been working all your life without Christ, I'm not going to stand up here and say you can't do that. There's enough businessmen in this world who are successful without God, right? Who have worked hard, who have found the, the formula 
of success and who have done it. However, I, 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 want, I would wonder how much more impact would those people do if they knew Christ? What more good could they have done while they're on this planet if they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior? I have a, um, another rap song for you guys. I hope you like it. Um, I'm, I'm slowly, so like last time I said it was rap, right? Right. I'm slowly moving towards you, right? And, um, I want you guys, and like last time it's a Christian video and I understand that, uh, you know, you gotta have the right ears to hear music, right? So uh, the lyrics are up there. Um, listen and read the, the lyrics of the song. Um, cause I think it really nails this whole concept of choosing Christ and choosing this new life. So, uh, again, yeah. A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over regrets No matter what you've gone through, Jesus He gave it all to save you He carried the cross on his shoulders So you can start over Don't let your heart be troubled, don't be afraid To the broken hearted, that wishes they Never been born, never been torn, never sinned, never disobeyed I know you think there's no hope, no, but that ain't true Jesus saved, I know you feel a regret, like I Brought this all on myself, like I Messed it up big time and this time I don't deserve God's help Thinking, how can God forgive me? After knowing what I hid, Penny. After knowing that I hid from him and I stayed away and backslid. Listen, Jesus came for the sick. So true. Jesus came for the weak. Amen. Jesus came to give good news and to set the captives free. Amen. Listen, Jesus came for the poor. Amen. Jesus came with the keys. Amen. Jesus came to remove the chains from so the prisoners. Everybody's got a In the ocean floor, run to his arms like an open door. God the Father sent the sons, so I'm making come and be free. And gotta run no more. Come to me, all who are weary. With heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. Separating you from your sin. As far as the east is from the west. Thrown in a sea of forgetfulness. What sin? What offense? And when them waves come crashing in, I'll calm the winds in your defense. So whatever it is that you've done, he put that punishment on his son. You'll never come under his condemnation, conquer sin and Satan in his accusations. So dry your eyes, lift up your head. His peace. His peace. And he took our guilt on a cross instead. Took our place and now we embrace a clean slate with the eyes of faith. We do unfailing love. Unfailing love. Everybody's it's not too late. Start on.
you, I mean, we've all been there. If you are currently living without Christ, I guarantee that there's one of two emotions that you are feeling. Uh, One is guilt. Because without Christ, it's about who you are, your reputation, all that stuff. You will feel guilt. We've all done wrong. We have all hurt people. And um, we punish ourselves because of it. Secondly, and I would argue the, the far more dangerous and scary one is pride. The worst thing that can happen to you when you're living yourself when you're when you're living your life without God is not failure. The worst thing that can happen to you when you're living your life without God is success. Success can be the worst thing that the Satan will ever give you. Because it's affirmation. It's affirmation that you're doing the right thing. It's affirmation that you're living your life the right way. And it's simply a lie. I think it's... it's um, uh, very good that we're doing communion today because it is the ultimate um, symbol of the ultimate example of living with Christ. It's not bread and grape juice or wine or whatever, you, you know. It's more than that. It's saying for certain that you have thought about it and you've prayed about it and you've looked at your life and you're saying that my life is less than my life with Christ. I don't want to hold on to the burden of my past anymore. The David Crowder song, the How He Loves Us song, you don't have time to think about the past You don't have time to feel guilty. You don't have time to be prideful. Why? He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Communion shows us that. So as we have stations everywhere, pick a direction. As you take up the bread symbolizes the body that's broken to you for you and the blood that's the grape juice that's shed for you. Remember that something is greater than this. It means more. See, point number three, I'm just going to give you an example of why emotions are important. When's the last time that communion has brought you to a point of mourning that you understand the severity of communion likewise when is it brought you to action that you have taken up communion and you said i have to do this i have to join the care ministry that's meeting right after first service i have to do that 
because there's no other choice. I, I, I just have to. God has been so good to me. His love has been so great that I have to. It's not, it's not, it's, I, it's not a necessity. It's just compelled so greatly. I get it. I finally get it. Emotion and action working perfectly together. I'm going to pray. And like I said, we got, we got stations on the other side in the back. Um, but take a second before you partake and um, just think about the severity and the blessing of the opportunity of communion. Dear God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your great love for us, Father. I, I, I apologize that we, we at some points take communion um, in an undeserving manner. God, we thank you so much for the cross, for, for Christ's life, for his blessing that he has given us and he's bestowing on us constantly, God. We thank you so much for your goodness, the, oppor- the simple opportunity to start anew, that we don't have to live in guilt, in pain, in shame anymore, God. But you, your son gives us a blank page, as the song, song says. That it doesn't matter who we were, it matters what you made make us. And you called us some, to some great things, God. Reveal those things to us, God. I pray for all these things in, in your son, in your beautiful son's name, God. Amen.